Welcome to the Leadership and Success Podcast with your host, Coach BZ. If you need to develop into a better leader, this podcast is for you. If you want to achieve a greater level of success, this podcast is for you. His mentor, Dr. John C. Maxwell, said it best, everything rises and falls on leadership. We hope to inspire you today and provide you with an insight that has the potential to positively impact the trajectory of your life. Welcome to the Leadership and Success Podcast. About uh, 20 years or so of experience in a variety of IT roles and private businesses, a lot of experience in the Navy doing information operations and things like that, and a lot of cybersecurity stuff. So I want to hear more about it from Bob. So Bob, thanks for being here. And I'd like to get started by asking you, you, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, where are you from? What's been your path like? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me on your podcast, Chris. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I feel like everybody has really their own individual path these days, right? It looks like we are really living in a generation where technology increases so rapidly, so exponentially, that more than ever before, it, it looks like people are having more and more careers and at a much faster rate. What I mean is, when my grandparents went to school and they started their career back then, you pretty much only worked for one company for your entire career. And then you would retire and get like golden watch. And when my dad went to school, it was kind of like that, but things started changing. Most people there would probably have three or four careers in their lifetime. But today, I think it's at least seven, 10, 15, 20, especially with these new Gen Zs and millennials. It's like they can stay anywhere long enough to really learn. And it seems like, but anyway, but I think part of what's making it go much faster is um, there is so many opportunities and the technology is really changing a lot of things so quickly that people really have to keep up with their skills, right? And in order to pretty much remain employed because uh, artificial intelligence, automation and so forth is really taking away a lot of those entry-level positions, in my opinion. So people really, also now I feel like they really want to do work that matters, right? Not just making money. It looks like, again, Gen Zs don't really, they care about money, but it's not their primary motivation. They really want to do some type of work that feels good, that's great for the environment or align with something that they personally, passionately care about. Anyway, having said all of this, when I first started my career, I was a pre-med student at the University of Alabama. So I was studying biology and chemistry. And my goal was to then go to medical school, get an MD and probably a PhD as well, and kind of like have a medical practice. But even then I was like 17 years old, I kind of knew Regardless of what anybody did, I felt like, no, that was uh, like in the mid 90s. I felt like for the 21st century, everybody needs to have at least three skill sets in addition to whatever it is they, they want to do. One, I felt like it was computers because computers, you know, if you remember on Windows 95, AOL, you've got mail and this kind of thing. It was kind of new, kind of magical. And I could perceive that it would pretty much take over the world, which it did. So I was like, just like, uh, I guess, you no, know, the century prior with my uh, grandparents, my parents, the big push is you have to be literate. You have to learn how to read, how to write. And I really felt like everybody needed to learn how to do computers because it's going to be the future period. So that's one thing I felt like was very important. And another one was business, right? No matter what you do, whether you are in technology or medicine, which is my original dream, or even if you are, you know, a brick maker or a cook or whatever you do in life, I felt like 
you have to understand business, how to get value and sell things, make a profit and service a need of a nation in order for you to make it financially. And then last, I felt like everybody needed to learn uh, leadership skills, right? You really had to be a leader. And today, more than ever before, I really feel like leadership is the most crucial skill of the 21st century. Like I mentioned earlier, automation is replacing a lot of jobs, but I feel like the world will always, always need people who have leadership skills who can influence other people and work together as a team and get things done. They still need people to oversee the deployment of this automation technology and so forth. So really those three things, when I was 17 years old, I really felt like I needed to get some experience in all three, technology, business, and leadership. So I kind of started my path that way. I graduated with a degree in chemistry and biology because my GPA was very high. I was actually able to skip the master stage and go for a PhD uh, program. And while I was in this PhD program, that's when I got married and then I had a kid on the way and, and I kind of, I felt the need to have a full-time job that paid more than the $1,000 stipend a month that you know, PhD students get at the University of Alabama as a graduate student. And thankfully for me, I really had a great job to fall into because prior to that, I was a student assistant library doing computer, which is a pretty crazy, crazy thing. I already said, you know, part of the reason why I felt like I needed to learn more about com computers. But when I got this job, I didn't know anything about computers at all. That was back in 1997. I was very scared of technology, actually. But that was really the one and only job that was available to me at the time. So I took and I worked very, very hard. But really what took away the fear of computing was when we had a, a bunch of older computers in our inventory that uh, we would normally decommission, right? So I, I had hundreds of, of those to play with, but I decided to take one of those computers and break it apart, open up the computer, remove a marble board and every single component, and then put it back together and turn it on and see if it worked. That's really how I was able to overcome my fear of computer. Like they say, the rest is history. So when it came time, I was married and I had a child on the way and I needed to really find a full-time job. So that's where I went. So I was working full-time for the university libraries as a computer technician. And it kind of went from there. I started working on my certification for the Microsoft Certified System Engineer certification. And when I was taking those classes and going through all of the exam, I found out Microsoft had started a brand new track about security. So that really was my first introduction to computer security. I really fell in love and I felt like, okay, this is what I need to do for the rest of my life. And when I got uh, a chance to work for the first chief information security officer of the University of Alabama, I definitely took that chance. I was already a director of IT, but I wanted to do security full-time. So I became an information security system engineer. And like they say, you know, the rest is history. I've been doing security ever since. Interesting. Yeah, that's a cool, a unique path. Like you mentioned, you know, everyone... You know, after a while, really everyone has a unique and interesting path. But I like how you you started out in pre-med wanting to be a doctor and then you just, life happens in, in a way, you know, yes. <laughs> things just change and you end up on a different path and, you know, you make the most of it, you succeed in it. In your case, I like that story how to really, like, if you're going to be working with computers and, you know, you feel you just need to master it, take the whole thing apart, put it back together and do it until you can get the thing to work. That's yes. a, that's a cool story. Yeah, and, and you've been in IT, or more specifically, cybersecurity ever since then. So, and that's what, about 15 years ago or so now? Yeah, I think, yeah, I started doing cybersecurity full-time in 2005. So mm -hmm. it's been about 16 years full-time. But prior to that, one thing I really love yeah. about cybersecurity is it doesn't matter what you do in IT, 
a component of what you do has to deal with security because security pretty much transcends and touches every single domain of IT. Whether you're a database administrator and engineer or developer, doesn't really matter what you do. Networking, IT support, part of your job you will be spending touching cyber security. You just have to. So, but I really, really wanted to do this full time. And another thing that happened to around that time, 2005, is I joined the Navy Reserve in 2004. And the story about that, it's quite interesting. Like I've said, everybody has their own unique story and their own path. But after 9-11, right, I wasn't a U.S. citizen at the time, but my wife was a U.S. citizen and I had a baby on the way who would be a U.S. citizen born here. But after 9-11, I wanted to join the military. I wanted to join the fight. So I went to talk to all of the recruiters I could, the Army, the Marines, the Air Force, everyone. And I quickly found out that I didn't want to join the Army or the Marines. I believe most people are crazy. But I felt like the Air Force or the <laughs> Navy would probably use no, more of my brain. So that's just inside joke, no? Navy, Army, Air Force. But anyway, I love everyone, but I really felt like Navy or Air Force would be the one. And also my father-in-law at, at the time uh, uh, was a retired tech sergeant, Air Force. So I definitely appreciated that a lot. But also remember when I told you I was 17, I felt like leadership was one of those things I really needed to get better at. And there is nothing better than military leadership. Really, the military is really a leadership organization, in my opinion. They just happen to have a bunch of people with a bunch of weapons uh, to do a lot of damage when needed. But anyway, so I uh, talked to all of the recruiters at the time I already had my degree, right? In 99, I graduated with a degree in chemistry and biology. And also, I was already a director of IT at the time. So I was pretty sure, yeah, I am going to get in and maybe become an officer, either in the Navy or the Air Force. Well, they found out that I wasn't a U.S. citizen. Then they asked me, okay, do you have a green card? Do you have that permanent residency card for the U.S.? I'm like, no, I don't have that yet. They're like, okay, sorry, but you can join, not for you. And uh, this has happened to me quite a few times throughout my entire life and career, right? Where Sometimes it's, I guess they call it catch 22, right? Like when I was a freshman trying to find a job on campus, they're like, no, we can't give you a job unless you already have experience. And I'm like, well, I can't get experience unless you give me a job. So uh, kind of like in that circle. And then the military clearly said, no, you're not a US citizen. You don't have a green, you cannot join. So no, we are not going to uh, allow you to do that. Go pack sand. I'm like, okay, very, very well. I am going to do just that. However, what I uh, decided was, okay, I'm going to go and get exactly what you say I don't have, and I'll be back, like with Terminator, right? So three years later, so that was in 2001, three years later, I got my green card, and I went back to the Navy and the uh, Air Force. And again, I wasn't a U.S. citizen yet, so I couldn't be an officer. So the Navy said, well, we can put you in as a enlisted IT, since you do a bunch of IT in uh, the civilian side, and also because of your experience. Instead of starting as seamen or below, we can probably start through as a petty officer third class. But then another issue I had was, even though I had the green card, I wasn't a U.S. citizen. Therefore, I wasn't eligible for security clearance. And I had to have at least a secret clearance. And because of that, they're like, okay, there is no way. So we're going to put you as a seaman uh, apprentice, which is like an E1. But when you go to boot camp, we're going to put you as E3, which is a seaman. And then whenever you get your citizenship, then you can take the uh, IT exam and become an IT free. I'm like, okay, that's better than nothing. So I uh, enlisted in 2004 and uh, that was quite an experience. And when I went to boot camp, really, my life completely changed. I was never, never, never the same again. But then, then again, a couple of years later, 2006, I became a US citizen 
And I went back to the officer recruiter I had talked to two years prior. I'm like, okay, you tell me I need to be a U.S. citizen. Here are my citizenship paper. What do I do to become an officer? And it took about a year and a half or so. Then I became an, an ensign. And just a few months ago, uh, April 2021, I realized my lifetime dream of finally becoming a senior naval officer. So I was promoted to the rank of a commander in the U.S. Navy. And my story really couldn't be possible anywhere else but in America. Yeah, that's quite an interesting story. A lot of hoops you had to jump through to serve the country. <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. Um, that's just the way it is. But now that I am a senior officer, maybe I can make it a little bit easier for some people in the future. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, red tape and bureaucracy in the U.S. government just in general. And sometimes maybe a lot of waste too, especially compared to the industry, right? In Silicon Valley, for example, so different from working for the government. For one thing, for example, in, in the Navy, I feel like we almost have like unlimited budget, right? Whatever we need, we get it. It's national security. I think if Congress doesn't have the money, they probably just get the Federal Reserve to print it or something. But when you live in the real world, though, like uh, where I am now as the head of cyber security for directly a startup in Silicon Valley, I mean, we have to have a return on investment on every expenditure, right? We don't just security for security's sake, right? Just to be aligned to the business objective and we need to get some real value return. So I feel like the military is, is uh, doing that more and more. It's changed a lot, right? In the past 17 years, I have been in, when I first joined, it really felt like a fraternity, right? I would say glorified fraternity, but now I think it's running more and more like a um, business. So there are definitely some changes along the way. Because when I joined the Navy too, you know, they used to talk about the uh, drunk and cursing sailor and so forth, but that's definitely not the case today. It's definitely much more professional at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I want to ask you about when you, you know, we're in the Navy, but as an, I guess, as an officer now, what kind of IT work and cybersecurity work were you doing? I'm sure some of it would be confidential. We can't discuss mm-hmm. it, but I, I'd like to hear what kind of issues the Navy and the military has in terms of cybersecurity and how those might compare and contrast to the issues that a business might have with cybersecurity? Yeah, so I think one of the um, biggest difference I have seen is, at least in the Navy, I think it's the same thing across all of the other branches. Cybersecurity is just critical, right? Now it has become a completely separate domain, just like surface warfare and uh, AR warfare, cyber is its own domain now. So I am an information professional officer. And in 2010 is when uh, we became the information dominance core. We are now called information warfare officer, which includes not just IP, which the IP, what we do is defend the network, right? So blue forces. And uh, we have creepies as as well, cryptologic officer. And those, uh, they usually do cyber offense, right? They attack the uh, enemy. Then we have Intel that give us a lot of cyber related uh, Intel about the capability of the adversary and things like that. And then we have METAC as well, right? For the uh, weather. So, and... All of us, plus the space cadre. So five area now kind of form what's called the information warfare community. Now, when I was uh, enlisted, I used to be an IT free right before I became an instant. So as an enlisted IT, you are really, you know, hands on deck. You're really working at the uh, tactical level, implemented all of the uh, policies, procedure, configuration of server system, and those kind of things. So as an IP officer, especially as a JO, you kind of oversee a whole bunch of enlisted. So for an IP officer, ITs would be 
reporting to me. For example, I will be the uh, communication officer or the information assurance officer, and then I would have IT actually doing the work while I'm kind of work at the operational level. And then as a senior officer now, as a commander, the Navy really is pushing us to work mostly at the strategic level, kind of set the uh, strategy, the uh, doctrine, and then the junior officer, the uh, JO operational, and, and then the uh, IT is technical. Generally speaking, I, I think that is true across all of the um, branches. But, but basically, we do everything a business would in terms of ensuring confidentiality, integrity, and availability. But in my um, opinion, the Navy and the military takes it much, much more seriously than business does. Definitely, we put a lot more money, right? The way we spend our money, the budget shows how much of a priority it is. And also, it's pretty much ingrained into the culture of the organization. No matter what uh, you do really today in the Navy, a portion of what you, you do is kind of related to cyber in many ways. And whereas when I am in the industry, that's not always the case. Sometimes cybersecurity is kind of like its own island there. And you can't really drive a cybersecurity program for an entire organization with just the IT team or the cybersecurity team. It really has to be a all-hands-on-deck type of approach. I think you really have to infiltrate the culture and have the entire culture awareness of cybersecurity-wise, right? Because in cyber, we always say uh, we are only as strong as our weakest link, right? It sometimes only takes one counts to get act one system to be breached before the enemy can then move or the actor can move laterally into your network and pretty much came uh, over. So I think that urgency and really that prioritization of cybersecurity is one thing uh, I have seen that in the industry, we are not quite where the military is, but uh, hopefully, you know, that is trending in the right way. That's That's an interesting insight you have. You mentioned near the end there, about the cultural difference and how to, you may have to, you know, infiltrate the culture to get everyone on board with these sort of initiatives. Speaking of culture and, and influencing culture, I want to transition a little bit about to talk about leadership. Uh, obviously, in the military, you and I both know, you probably even more because you're an officer, you know, how important leadership is in the military, how well it's taught to military personnel. So I want to ask you, what kind of things did you learn about leadership through your time in the military? That is a great question. I actually uh, wrote an article about that, Strixus, which is the, a magazine for executive, including uh, cyber or IT exec. And in the article, which I titled Free Leadership Lessons from a Navy uh, Commander, I talk about, number one, leadership being the most critical skill for the 21st century. Right. And I also think even within the Navy, leadership is changing quite a bit, right? Because the leadership that worked for us in the 20th century is not going to work in the 21st century for a few reasons. For one thing, the military in, in general in the 20th century, you can think of you know, World War One, World War Two. it was not very diverse, right? It was pretty much dominated by white male. That was the culture, which is not the case today. And number two, the other big difference was... Uh, Back then, also, so first, it is you know, mostly dominated by white male, but also there wasn't much of a generation difference within the, the rank. Most people were within one, two, at most three gen- generations from one another, which is absolutely not the case today. Because in our society now, no, we, we have, like I talked about, the Gen Z, the Millennium, I am Generation X. You can have like four to five generations working in the same industry in the same uh, organization today. And on top of that, you have more and more women now 
and uh, you have ethnic minorities. So it's definitely not the same world it used to be. Because of that, I really feel like uh, leadership is the one skill that is going to uh, help us be successful for the remaining of this 21st century. And uh, kind of like what my mentor had told me, my C-Daddy, when I joined the uh, Navy, kind of like what location is to real estate is really what leadership is to the Navy. And I think that's true for the military in general. What we do is we develop leaders, right? That's number one, number two, and number three. And everything else is, is just extra. Because especially during you know, a time of war, you are in charge of uh, troops and it's really a matter of life and, and death. I mean, you better make sure you're making the right leadership decision. And then I think the second most important thing I've learned from my time in the Navy so far is uh, leadership is influence. Uh, one of my leadership mentors says leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. And I, I really, really agree with that statement because many times even in the industry, right, in cybersecurity, usually you have a much smaller team and many times though, you have to influence people who are not direct report, right? They don't report to you, so you can't order them, you can't tell them what to do, but you need to influence them to do the right thing for the organization. And I think having those soft skills and being able to influence people, that is really, really, really critical in what we do. And then the very uh, last point I brought was that leadership was learnable, right? I remember my bootcamp uh, experience and everything I uh, went through, but by the time you get out of bootcamp, I, I almost feel like you are born again in a way. You are a completely different person because this pretty much the Navy strips out everything that you really relate with. Like for at least two weeks, I didn't have any contact with any anybody. I didn't talk to my wife, to my kids. I didn't even know what was going on in the world. No access to TV, nothing. It was quite quite an experience, but like the Navy pretty much broke me down. And then uh, by the end of boot camp, kind of put me back to get into a sailor. And yeah, that was quite quite an experience. And this, that was really the beginning of my leadership journey as an ITSM, or as an IT seaman. So generally speaking too, another one of my mentors says it takes about you know, 10,000 hours or so to become an expert in pretty much any field. And anybody who's an expert today, of course, started as a novice, right? Nobody was born an expert. All of the experts today, they started not knowing anything about anything in the industry or uh, in the area where they exit today. So if it takes about 10,000 hours or so to become an expert, that's about five years if you're working full-time. So I think, you know, you can make a decision to become a better leader and learn how to be a leader and five years from, from now, it's going to serve you very, very well. So I, I really feel like you've got nothing to lose. But again, my opinion, no matter what you do, no matter what uh, industry or job, you really need to become a leader an effective leader in the 21st century to be successful. Definitely. Those are some very wise words, Bob. Very wise words, I would say. I want to hone in on point number three that you made about leadership being learnable. How do you teach leadership? How do you make someone a better leader? I guess would be my question. And, and how would you respond to that? Yeah, so from my experience in the military, they do spend time you know, with PowerPoint and teaching you about leadership principles and so forth, which is nice. But I don't think that's the way the military, at least the Navy, makes leader. I think we we practice leadership, right? It's kind of like sink or swim type of thing. I've, I've experienced, especially as a junior officer, right? The Navy is going to stretch you. For example, when we get orders, they are never more than two or three years maximum. So they put you somewhere, something you've never done, and they expect you to be successful. And if you are, they give you another set of orders after that. So by the time you become a senior officer, like I'm now a commander, you would have 
varied experience in many, many different things. You will have a pretty big idea of what the Navy does and kind of like how all of the components come together to really make, make us, I believe, the most powerful Navy the, the world has ever seen. So it is really, I think, about doing it, right? They're going to make you, like when I, when I became a division officer, I had about three, five people working for me. And then I became a department head. I had about 10, 15, 12 people working for me. To today, right, I am the executive officer for my unit. And I have about 66 people who report to, to me now. But by making you responsible for a group of people, no matter how big or small it is, really judging you by the results, right? You have to be effective and you have to achieve the mission, right? We always say in the Navy, mission first and people always. So learning to find a way to motivate people to have, it's not just like driving the bus and having the right people in the bus, but having the right person for each seat of the bus, right? And, and I think we definitely teach that, but, but I think what really makes it a leadership organization, in my opinion, is the practice. We really get a, a lot of time getting those green people enlisted too, not, not just officer, because even when, when I was a petty officer third class and IT free, leadership became even more important than it was when I, when I was a, a seaman. Already my chief in my unit were kind of grooming me to one day become a Navy chief, which is a very, very, very big deal. Actually, when I was in boot camp, by the time boot camp was ended, I made up my mind I was either going to become a senior enlisted, which is a chief or above, E7 or above, or a senior officer. It just happened that the officer route is the one that kind of the opportunities that came my way. But yeah, I believe leadership is practice. You have to practice leadership. Yes, you need to learn about it. You need to study it. But most importantly, you need to put those principles that you study into practice. But even uh, in my personal life, you know, at home, being married, having kids, that's one of the greatest leadership lessons I think anybody can learn. You know? Being able to live peacefully with another human human being and influencing them sometimes, right, to learning how to compromise, really, and influencing uh, people w- within your family to, you know, to do things a certain way for the betterment of the entire family unit. So a lot of those leadership principles can be applied in that context, too, I have found. Certainly. It's a v- very good point. Bob, I want to wrap up with a question, again, about, you know, cyber and the, the prevalence of cyber attacks, hackings, and so on. How do you think the prevalence of cyber attacks and, and the increasing prevalence of cyber attacks will change the international landscape or our, our international world order, and maybe even things like our, our foreign policy and our national defense strategy? Yeah, cyberspace cannot be ignored, right? Especially uh, recently, we have seen how something that happened in cyberspace can have a direct effect in the physical realm, right? The convergence of the effect of cyber from uh, cyberspace to the physical world. I think for the, for the first time, this really happened at the scale that people notice was last year, 2020, in the middle of the uh, pandemic in Germany, right? Some uh, hackers had some ransomware uh, in some hospital there in Germany and they couldn't use their computer. And like I said at the very beginning of this interview, no matter what you do, including being a medical doctor or a nurse or being in the medical field, you have to learn computers because you cannot do your work without it. So pretty much the hospital shut down. They couldn't do anything. Doctors couldn't have access to medical records. They couldn't use any of their equipment that depends on technology. And there was one patient there who was in a critical state that they had to move from that hospital to another hospital where they would be able to uh, use the technology to follow up uh, 
on the care of this patient and on the way there, the patient died. So as far as I know, that was the first time that an attack in cyber actually cost the life of a human being in the real world. And then, of course, most recently in the U.S., you, I'm sure everybody has heard about the uh, colonial pipeline, especially those on the East Coast when the price of a gallon of gas went all the way up to $7 a, a gallon. Again, something that happens on cyber has a real immediate effect in the real world. And we also know that where we are now, now this is public knowledge, but our infrastructure is definitely something that uh, a lot of very smart people uh, think about because it's definitely possible for an attacker to pretty much shut down uh, our power or even the water. I think it was in, in Florida, right? About uh, a couple of months ago, someone tried to poison the water of a city in Florida by uh, remodeling into an account of somebody who had actually left the company, but for some reason their account was still active and they had admin privilege and they started shutting, shutting down systems. So it really can be very, very, very scary to what can happen. It's, it's really a matter of national security. And on top of that, one of the biggest issues we have today in the cybersecurity industry, I, I believe, is there is a huge demand, but not enough qualified people to do the job, right? And in the uh, Navy, in the information professional community, we we call ourselves a low-density, high-demand community. Low-density, not enough of us to go around and high-demand because the Navy really needs people with this type of uh, skill set. So I, I really feel like there needs to be a serious push uh, to really get the next generation, right? The millennial and Gen Z to really get into cyber because we really, really need more qualified people to do the job. And on top of that, I think another priority, at least from my perspective, is we need that cybersecurity workforce to be more diverse, right? We need to see more women and more uh, ethnic minority getting into cyber. This is really a wonderful, wonderful profession. I am really so glad I kind of stumbled into this. And in many ways, right, I feel like it kind of gives me job security. Like I said uh, earlier, with automation and the advancement of the technology, many of the entry-level positions are really being replaced pretty quickly. Like even now, you cannot hardly go to even a grocery store without seeing one, one of those self-checkout uh, machines where they don't have to use uh, any clerk, they don't have to pay for sick leave, for vacation leave, or any any of that. People check themselves out, right? But having said all of that, I uh, really, really feel like cyber is eager to uh, stay. And I, f- I feel like privacy is where cyber security was uh, maybe, what, 10, 15 years ago. It is just becoming something that uh, the people and government around the world are going to really start to prioritize and demand. It is very important to keep private personal data, and it's very important to ensure confidentiality, integrity, and availability, because really our entire lives today depends on technology. Like even today, there is really almost nothing I can do without my iPhone or people who use uh, Android. Like my entire digital life is in this one device. Just imagine what life would be like if you couldn't get on the internet. I mean, it is so important and so critical that uh, we absolutely really at any cost have to ensure its safety and security. And I believe more and more on government realizing this. I think one of the biggest law that happened toward no, uh, privacy was GDPR, which was enforced, I think it was May of 2018. And for those who are now in California, we have the yes, CCP, right? The California Consumer Protection Act. And I, and I feel like we really need to have a national privacy law and uh, cybersecurity uh, needs to have even a higher priority than it has ever been just because the alternative uh, could be catastrophic for our nation. It will impact our business, our finances, our way of life. I mean, everything.
Yeah, certainly. Very well said. Bob, you're a wealth of information. I, f I feel like we could talk for hours and I would still be learning stuff. But Bob, we're more or less out of time. I do want to ask you if any final thoughts, anything you wish I asked that I didn't ask. I think one thing I am kind of focused on now, I am on the um, board of the AZ Cyber Initiative and United uh, Cybersecurity Alliance. And both organizations, they have for mission to really increase the diversity of cybersecurity. We want to have more women, uh, more people of color and represented community into cyber. This is really the industry of the future. Cybersecurity is here uh, to stay. Like even now with the COVID-19 pandemic last, last year, a lot of people were not able to work at all. Like restaurants were closed for a while. And then many, the great majority of the hospitality industry, they were pretty much out of the job. But anyone who's working in cyber or IT, they were still able to work from their home or from wherever in the world they had internet access. So I feel like uh, this is very, very important. We need to have uh, more qualified people. According to IC Square last year, I believe there were about 4 million IT positions, but we only have about uh, 2.3, 2.5 IT specialists worldwide. So there are a lot of positions right now we cannot even fill because we just don't, don't have the uh, workforce. So I, I would like the American kids today to really get interested in you know, STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, and to really get into IT and cybersecurity. Uh, we need you to join the fight because you are really doing something that is important for your country, you know, for the world, but also doing something I believe that is highly uh, personally rewarding, knowing that you are making a difference. And thanks again, Chris, for uh, inviting me on your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Bob. That was an amazing discussion. I'm very glad to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you found some value in this episode of Life in the Cloud. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. You can continue the conversation with us on LinkedIn by tagging Chris Reddy, at Chris-Reddy. That's at K-R-I-S-R-E-D-D-Y in a comment or by sending a direct message. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening to the Leadership and Success Podcast with your host, Coach BZ. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our channels and come back for more wisdom nuggets on how you may develop into a better leader and achieve greater levels of success. Leadership is the most critical skill. The world will always need leaders to lead others, deploy the next disruptive technology, or execute a business strategy. You may as well decide on counting yourself among the 21st century leaders. See you right here next time on the Leadership and Success Podcast with Coach BZ.